0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: We did have a slow start tonight for sure. Uh, a slow half. Um, not just a slow start, but we played pretty bad in the first half. And... Uh, and so that's something that we got to get better, look ourselves in the mirror and uh, come out and try to get better from. Just felt like uh, in that game, fourth and two, that uh, that's an advantage situation for us. Felt like we knew the coverage systems that, that would be played in that particular DD and felt really good about the play call. They can blame me, they can put it all on me, and you know, you know if they want to chant MVP when I come running out, then they can get mad at me for this one. Jared said it was kind of tough to here in the huddle. What was it like for you, you know, trying to silence the uh, crowd being that, you know, there were so many raiders. I think it's just the way we want it. You know, we're so thankful for the Chargers fans that showed up. Um, But, you know, I think it's a great opportunity to go out there and play uh, a a really good football team.
0: Everybody's saying the right things as always in the aftermath of a football game. Give us more entertainment. Give us a human moment. Tell us how you really feel. Don't say what you think you should say. We never say what we think we should say we say what we want to say here on Pro Football Talk Live. I say even though I don't want to good morning to Christopher Sims. Welcome back man with the small head. How are you? I'm great thank you. How you doing? You look a little tired today. You all right? You you, you good? You good? How you feeling? Well you know last night was old school. First of all that really is an insult. (laughs) We've we've, we've been down this road before. (laughs) I know. And let me just make a general public service announcement to the extent that this counts as the community service that I'm still trying to perform to fulfill that unfortunate incident from uh, several years back. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) When you say to someone you look tired, it is an insult. Right. No matter how you say it. Yes. It is a passive aggressive, if not flat out aggressive insult. Right. You look tired. Yes. Is the half cousin to you look ugly. So uh, I don't know don't about tell that. tell people but. they look tired, but it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment. <laughs> I wasn't trying to I, I give you know. a compliment. Don't worry. It's. But I'm but glad the you're in the people point. People do it all the time. People and they're like, "Oh, I'm just concerned about you." Well, okay, that's fine. But don't tell me I look tired. Just say, "Do you, you feel okay today? You doing all right? Everything good?" Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Just make it sure. <laughs> I, I don't even know that that's acceptable. Is that allowed, I just, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of you look tired. <laughs> no, no. I f- really? Really? <laughs> I've, well, we haven't talked about it in a while. I know, it's been I- a while. <laughs> and I fully endorse any and all rude responses to you look tired, including you look fat, you look ugly, you look stupid. I, I think all three. Oh, I don't game. think tired's
2: nearly as offensive as those. I mean, the, some of those. No, are, but it
0: opens the door. It know? opens the door to it.
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Hey, you can be concerned and go. Hey, you look tired. But yeah, I'm totally doing it to. You dinner. didn't
0: do it. I'm doing hey, it to get you a rise
2: out of you. Yes, I did it to exactly do exactly what just happened there. It got you a little ticked off, and I. Peeling I'm
0: one, accomplished. Peeling <laughs> yeah. two. Go ahead. I got two left. Chicken. Which one am I going to peel? Mock, 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 Eli mock, mock. Hey. if. <laughs> If Eli Manning can do it, I can do it. Seriously. Actually, I can't. Seriously. Um, well, it was old school Monday Night Football. I got the shakes. I thought Mom and Dad were going to make me go to bed at halftime. It started right around 9 o'clock right. because of a weather delay. In a stadium with a roof on it! Hey, Stan Kroenke, if you're going to pay $6 billion for your stadium complex, don't put a carport over the stadium. Put an entire freaking roof over it so that we – well, not that it ever – storms in California, but it did last night in Southern California. It slowed the game down. It was like uh, I don't know if I heard this right. What they were just worried about what, like the upper
2: tier, this one area that was somewhat close to the open air. Is that how I I understand it? You know, I kinda was in and out at that point. Like, you know, I mean yeah, I was getting dinner or whatever and and I'm trying to get ready for the game, but I don't I didn't hear the exact reasons. I was a little surprised too. I think that's what I heard.
0: I think it was something along those lines of Okay. There are two open ends, and there was a safety issue. And 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 I look, I, I'm I'm all for being safe. Yeah. How about build the stadium so it's inherently safe, and you don't have to worry about shutting it down. It may be the only time there's ever a lightning issue in that venue. I don't know, but they plan to use it a lot. I don't know how many days per year there's actual lightning in LA, but there was last night. There was last night. And it slowed the game down. And it was like the seventies all over again. And I felt like I should go to bed at halftime. And you know what? I bet a lot of people did, because it was twenty one nothing at halftime. It was over, it was done. Don Meredith somewhere was singing, turn out the lights, the party's over. And I give the Raiders credit for doing what the Bengals did on Thursday night. We had bookends. Big lead at the half. Yeah. And the team that was trailing came out on fire in the second half. The Bengals pulled it off. The Raiders got close but weren't able to finish the deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, un- like, unfortunately for the Raiders, or, you know, I mean, you could either say fortunately or unfortunately. It's kind of been the theme of their season so far. Slow starter, you know, and then get a feel for the game, and all of a sudden their offense starts to explode. And you can't stop them for a period of time. And we were we kind of at that. I give them a lot of credit. I mean, they were undermanned secondary you know secondary injuries at corner of course the o-line's banged up i don't think Josh Jacobs is near 100% Peyton Barber banged up so they had their issues uh certainly but this is something we've seen from the Raiders so far this year i mean hey well they were down 14 nothing Ravens right and you know, the week after that it was the Pittsburgh Steelers game i don't know if they were down there but it was close and their offense kind of just is very conservative early on in football games. They got down to the Dolphins, came back. So it seems to be part of their DNA. I think it's a, part, a little bit a part of like once Gruden and Derek Carr kind of figure out how they're being attacked, then they can open up that vault and start being aggressive there. But the Chargers weathered the storm and made some plays when they had to, had the fourth down stop, and of course had their own fourth down conversions that kind of took back the momentum of the football game, and I give them a lot of credit for that too.
0: It was fourteen nothing Monday Night Football week one. Yeah, it was Ravens right? over yeah. the Raiders right. before they woke up. It was fourteen nothing Dolphins over the Raiders week three before they woke up. It was twenty one nothing last night before they woke up. That is not the way that you want your season to go, where every week you fall into a hole and you have to dig your way out of it. Credit to them for making the adjustments on yeah. the fly. Right. But how about planning a little bit better? Chris, something's going wrong in the planning on both sides of the ball that the Raiders are falling behind by double digits in three out of their four games this year. I, I, don't, I, I don't disagree with that. I,
2: I think there's – offensively, let me speak to that first. I think there's two things. I, I do. I think that, you know, one – it, it, people know they're playing John Gruden and Derek Carr, and they know they got a ton of answers in their offense. That they got every play in the history of football. And Derek Carr's got the majority of them in his head. And of course Gruden's, yeah, Spider 2, why banana kid it with it. So they got a million things and they got a million answers. I do think defenses give them a lot of different stuff early on in football games because They know, or at least they have a good feel, uh, or know that how Gruden might attack, or the things he can do in certain formations, so they change their looks up. And then I think the other thing I would look at is, hey, I think in every one of those games we're talking about, too, even the Pittsburgh game, where I know they weren't down big early, Derek Carr, I think he plays conservative early. He does. I mean, we didn't really... I, you know, there was a difference, Derek Carr, I thought, in the third quarter. And I'm not just talking about, yeah, I know the offense was moving, but there's a more aggressive frame of mind. I feel like early on he's kind of just feeling it out and let me execute the offense and let me, let me not mess things up here. And then he doesn't step on the gas pedal until he feels like, all right, it's time, like it's either now or never. And, you know, that's just a hard way to live in the NFL. And you're not going to win like that consistently if you continue to do that.
0: Um, so I think that's two things that at least jump out to me on the offensive side of the ball, Mike. I mean, they could be one and three. You could argue they should be one and three, and it's impressive that they were able to come back from fourteen nothing down twice. But last night, twenty-one nothing, unable to do it. And really, if they hadn't given up that touchdown at the end of the half to make it twenty-one nothing, maybe it would have been a different outcome. Maybe fourteen is the magic number. Once they get to twenty-one, that's a that's lot. That for yeah. the Raiders, Chargers have now won five games in a row in the AFC West, and it was huge for them to get that win last night. It's a swing game. You're either both going to be 3-1 and one, or one's 4-0 and oh, and the other is 2-2. Two and two. That is a huge, huge momentum shifter for the Chargers, and and they're in pretty good shape now. Both L.A. teams at 3-1, and one, and the Chargers not far off from where the Rams are. I'd love to see those two teams play this year. Yeah, uh, I'm with you there. Uh, well, I... Hey, like
2: if I had to make my first banner statement, like the first half of that football game, uh, I, I mean, Justin Herbert, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, when Justin Herbert starts to catch fire and get a little rhythm like he did in the first half, and again, these aren't even like, they weren't bombs down the field or 70-yard touchdowns or anything. It's just it's just one after another 5- and 10- and 15-yard strike over and over. I mean, of course, here's a 20-yard strike down the field. But, I mean, from in the pocket, Mike, and I was actually having this conversation with my dad a little bit last night on the phone where we were watching the game. I, I, I'm not sure you can't argue he's the best in-the-pocket passer in football. It just doesn't matter. As long as he has a little space to throw, it can, doesn't matter if people are in his face. He could throw it right over. But look at every one of these balls. On the money. Perfect spiral. Oh, I got to throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball? No problem. Oh, I got to throw a touch ball to the back out of the backfield? No problem. Perfect spiral. On the money. And that, to me, is where... He's truly special, and they become hard to defend when they can protect, and they got the weapons outside, and man, he's like a machine out there. He's like the Megatron of quarterback sometimes, I, I look
0: at him like. And during the tap dance time on ESPN last night, as they filled from what would have been the kickoff until the actual kickoff, they were carving his bust for Canton, And I think he's awesome. I think he's great. I know there's one head coach who regards him as the best of all young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And he is great. But you got to keep it going. I still am astounded, though, that there was even a question between him and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Just based on size and skill set. I got you. I mean, yeah. right. right? How was it even a question for the Dolphins to take Tua over, over Justin Herbert? Were they so locked in on Tua because that was the narrative all year long? In 2019, in the college football season, that Tua was the guy. Tank for, Tua, tank for Tua. Hey, we didn't have to tank, and we still got Tua. That they never pivoted to Justin Herbert. I, I just, and it's easy now with a year and some change to come to that conclusion. But they they, they just they, it's a different human from the standpoint even, of size even, yes. and everything right. that you see when right. you study him. In the pocket, like you said, doing things, moving around, durability, all the stuff, the arm strength—I I, I don't get it. And, and I think that Booger McFarland was a little over the top by saying that no one saw. Come on, what his Justin damn ex-teammate. His damn ex-teammate was trying to tell everybody. Come on, ex-teammate, throw me a bone there. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the guy, the guys, the guys, special. Yeah. And uh, will he be in Canton someday? Well, uh, he's still got a lot of work to do. Right, but. We're pretty impressed with what we've seen so far. The Last time twenty five for thirty eight. He's, he's got the talent. Yards, right? Yeah. Three touchdowns. Yeah. Yes. He's got, he's got the talent. Now he's got to go get the pelts on the wall. Right. That's what gets you in the hall of fame. Yes. Now Dan Fouts made it without ever getting to the Super Bowl and obviously without ever winning it, but you've got to have those some all time great records. Yeah. And those are harder and harder to come by with Tom Brady stretching it as far as he possibly can. Right. So uh they're gonna have to they're gonna have to compete with some of the best teams in the league. Oh, and by the way, they are. They're 3-1. and They lost a close game at home week two to the Cowboys, and they're on their way. And I was a firm believer in the Chargers going into the season. You were. And that's one of the few things that I've gotten right this year, so I'm going to ride that one. Yeah, well, you should, and uh, you were smart there. I mean, I think you explained it right with the
2: Tua Herbert thing. It's its a different stratosphere. I think it's, again, another lesson like Mike, and we'll, I'm sure it'll come up during the draft this year where there'll be another guy from a big-name school and we'll talk about a guy from just a little bit lesser level of a school, and the world will be like, what? No way. I've watched that guy at that big school win, so he's the reason. You can't tell me otherwise. And that's just – it's every year. But I think, you know – uh, for, for what you said, it, it is quite obvious. It was always quite obvious to me from that from that faction. I mean, did people really think at the time, like if you didn't put Justin Herbert at Alabama, like they would have fell off? I mean, obviously not. Now it's easy to say. But, man, they just, if they can continue to protect him the way they do, which we, we've seen pretty good protection all three weeks, weapons, tight end, got the run game going last night, if they get the run game going, like you heard Brian, Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick talking about in the fourth quarter, they'll be unstoppable on the offensive side of the ball. Because the other thing, Mike, that we haven't even seen yet, they're doing like, it's not a big play, like, you know, 50-yard bombs type offense. It's really more of like, you know, an intermediate Drew Brees offense. It's Saints from, offense. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's Saints offense. It's from it's eight or nine years ago offense. where Drew's usually yeah. just carve you off for eight, for 10, for eight, for 10, and just back and forth. And that's what he's doing right now. And I think that almost makes it more impressive with his decision-making and accuracy all the
0: time. Yeah. High percentage, higher percentage than throwing it all the way down the field. But he makes it 100% most of the time because he, he throws the accurate ball and they keep moving the chains and they score points and they get it done. Back to this whole college football dynamic. Yeah, let's Correct do me it. if I'm wrong. Right, 2018 wasn't Justin Herbert yes. perceived to be one of the best prospects until he decided to stay. Like, I, it's amazing how college football coverage blows hot and cold with certain guys. And you know, if 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 a guy rises one year, if he isn't extra phenomenal the next year. Somebody else fills that void, and the scouts kind of forget about him. Like, are the scouts that impressionable that they forget that this guy was pretty damn good last year, and maybe there's a reason why it fell off a little bit this year? I remember Lamar Jackson, the year after he won the Heisman, he was still as good as he was yeah. the prior year, but his team wasn't. Right. He wasn't getting all the buzz and the coverage, and that kind of knocked him down. It was just, It's just kind of weird that, that, that scouts – I feel like are influenced by the fact that the shine comes off of a guy a little bit when he stays for that extra year. I, you know, I, I'm not going to blame the scouts. I think it's more
2: people in the building with some of these. You know, it's a good point. I think it's like more the than, owner, right? The I owner. Want to a, I get Tua exactly. The GM, whatever the head college personnel guy. You know, their butt starts to be on the line for the decision, and they go, "Wait." oh my gosh, well, Alabama never loses. He puts up good stats. He's charismatic as a guy. And Justin Herbert, um, everybody's making him sound a little bit like he might be bubble boy up in Oregon, and he'll never leave the bubble of Oregon. And then it wasn't like a machine on offense, not because of him, because the offense wasn't very good in Oregon, but it got blamed on him to a degree. And that becomes a little bit of the – you know, the the mantra or the headline on some of these guys at times. And, yeah, they can't fight it back. But you're right. I felt like he was, like, more strongly on the radar the year before than he was the year when he got drafted by the Chargers. Certainly, there seemed to be more hype about him. More negative stuff started to come out. And uh, it is. It's it's, it's crazy to me. And uh, at some point, people just got to evaluate the player like you're talking about, the physical skill set. Does he have brains? Is he an idiot? Okay, he's got pretty good brains. He can really throw it. He's sm- he he's a got good feel for the game and you go from there, but too much right now at least in my opinion in the NFL world. They're they're attaching pl- quarterback player to the team and they're thinking there's some magic he's giving the team. When I go, "No, you know the magic he gave the team Tua in Alabama." Oh, There was like 20 first-rounders on the team. That was the magic. Oh, that's right. So it wasn't really him, and that's where people, I think, get
0: lost in the evaluation at times. Two quick Justin Herbert observations, and we'll refocus on the game. Number one, I only had one negative on Justin Herbert, and you know what it was. We learned it at the scouting combine. (laughs) Yes. The day that you ended up losing your lunch. One of his boyhood idols was Joey Harrington. (laughs) Justin. Maybe that's why he fell to number six. And number two – I I have a friend who is an ardent and informed and very thorough and passionate Dolphins fan who has been a Dolphins fan for decades. Yeah. He texted me last night, I'm not watching this game tonight. I can't do it. Hmm. I can't watch Justin Herbert because we could have had him and we didn't take him. Right. And that's going to haunt the Dolphins and their fans, except for the people who are still card-carrying members of the Tua Mafia. And that group, I think, is starting to dwindle. Uh, most Dolphins fans, I think, are going to be tormented for the duration of Justin Herbert's career because he was right there. They could have had him. They took a quarterback, and the next guy off the board was Justin Herbert. Yeah, uh, I mean, no doubt.
2: It's, he would have been an organizational changing draft pick. You know, the Dolphins who are struggling offensively right now. And, of course, one of the things we were worried about, Tua, coming out in the draft was his size, his durability. He wasn't that durable at Alabama. Is he gonna be able to do that in the NFL? You know, so we've we've had all sorts of problems actually with Tua through two years. You know, he admitted some of those after his rookie year. And none of that's come up with Justin Herbert. In fact, it's always just like, oh wow. Oh, he's better than I thought he was in person. Oh wow, he's smarter than I thought he was. Oh wow, he's got better instincts than I thought. I mean, it's just it's one positive after another and and good for Justin Herbert because I don't know, there just seems like he is like the most humble quarterback in football, too. I, I I will say that about him as well. He just never seems to be affected. Even when we interviewed him that day, it was just like, "Oh, hum, all right." Talking to two idiots about football, big
0: deal. He talks it. He's a very normal guy, and I respect that about him a lot too. Topic for another day, as it relates to the Dolphins. Keep an eye on what happens this season because they've got an owner who is not bashful about making changes. Right. There could be some some heat on the seats seats that we assumed going into this year. We're completely stone cold, but uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that as the season continues to unfold, especially if the Dolphins keep losing. Austin Eckler, Chargers running back, the guy that took over from Melvin Gordon, 117 rushing yards last night, a career high. Impressive video of him doing one-armed pull-ups. Are you kidding me? This guy in that offense, and that's the key, and Greasy made this point last night. You put him in that Saints offense, you give him Justin Herbert and all those great receivers they have. There's going to be some openings for Austin Eckler to do what he did last night. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, he's, he's, as we see right here, he's pretty
2: good between the tackles for a smaller guy, runs with a little bit of power, but if you give him the outside like this, man, he can get out, accelerate, get a 15, 20 yard gain. And then I think you know most importantly, like you talked about this Saint offense. I mean, watch this one. Watch uh, this. I, I mean, pow, it's amazing in, baby. that he can have that type of power in that that small package of a body. I mean, it really is. And then the you know the the pass game effect, like you talked about. So they don't ever have to like you know really cha- take the back off the field. Oh, okay, Eckler, we're going to run the ball. Great. Oh, okay, now we're going to do like Alvin Kamara passes out of the backfield. Hey, we got Eckler. Let's do that with him too. You know, that's that's special that way. And like you said, it's going to be tough. As they continue to go if they run the ball like that, because they got the weapons on the outside. They got a good tight end and cook, uh, to work the middle of the field. And I don't even think they're they're probably not even fully encompassed into the offense yet and still in a little learning process there. So I think that's like the positives for the Chargers
0: and, and their football team. Yeah, very dynamic and balanced offense and off they go. Now for the Raiders who We're one of the last two unbeaten teams going into the game. It's now just the Cardinals, as everyone expected four weeks ago. The Raiders, uh, what what do they need to fix? We talked earlier about not falling behind and having a better plan on both sides of the ball. But, you know, more specifically, once they get into the game, what is it that you think they need to be worried about the most? Well,
2: uh, you know, other than last week, the run game hasn't really. Hasn't really taken off. I think that's one aspect of their team. They're kind of waiting to get going. And that's going to be hard with the offensive line. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not panicked about their offense in any way. I'm not. I don't look at it one area and go, oh, man, you know, they're really got issues here. That concerns me for the rest of the year. I think the thing I kind of said at the top of the show would be the thing I'd like to see change a little bit. You know, open up the game plan a little bit more earlier in the game. You know, be a little bit more aggressive then. Back some people off right away, and then they can get back to, you know, kind of they want to do what the Saints and, and what we talked about with Justin Herbert. They want to hit five and eight and ten and five and just be in the right play all the time. Uh, but I, I feel like sometimes, you know, you got to scare the team a little bit to back them off to open some of that stuff off, and they just seem very conservative early. I think that's the number one thing that jumps out to me, but I'm not concerned about that offense. I'm not. They just need to get healthy on both sides of the ball, and I think to your point, they played a really damn good team, and they played a guy in Brandon Staley who's a head coach for a reason after only being a defensive coordinator for, what, two years, because He's, he's game plan specific, and he throws some stuff at you, Mike, that you know you go, wait, we prepared for this all week, and holy crap, he's playing us like this. We didn't think he was going to do that. And that's where I think Brandon Staley is really special and a pain in
0: the butt, and will be a pain in the butt for, for uh, offenses all year long. The key moment in the game, in my estimation, the turning point was with 11.23 to play and the Raiders down. Twenty one fourteen. They had third and three on the Chargers twenty eight. Yeah. And Derek Carr took a sack oh, from that was big. Covington. Right. And then they missed the fifty two yard field goal. And you throw on top of it the Chargers with a very methodical clock churning drive. They score the touchdown. By then, there isn't nearly enough time for the Raiders to score the same fourteen that they started the half with. And there's now, um that that image there. The still frame, the uh, the, uh, the the bracing by Carr, a lot of criticism of Carr for that. I'm not... Uh, hey, look, anybody who steps well, between those they're getting on social lines, media for that? I, they're getting... Oh, yeah, they, the cringe. The cringe in the cover. And let's, let's listen to Joey Bosa talk about how he believes that if you start putting bodies on Derek Carr, he changes.
3: Uh, I think... We did a great job on both sides running and passing. Uh, we knew once we hit him a few times, he really gets shook and, and you saw on, on CeCe's sack, he was pretty much curling into a ball before we even got back there. So, um, great dude, great player. He's been having a great year, but we know once you get pressure on him, he kind of shuts down and he's not as effective with the with crowded pocket. So, uh, that, was, that was the key to it.
0: So, it's not just social media the chargers figured it out and they hey, hey look again you're getting hit by large strong men that's right there there there, there is an element Of pain that goes into it and your body remembers it and your body reacts he's not making a conscious decision to go pill bug when christian covington's bearing down on him but what else can you do it's either that or hit the deck either brace for impact or you hit the deck and he braces for impact but you know some people are going to say that's not a good look
2: well i I mean to me that's just it's piling up protecting the
0: ball though exactly
2: that's a hundred percent he wants to make sure they can be able to kick the field goal you know they ran a play where it was really a Hunter Renfro, right? They call it third and Renfro there in Vegas. It's it was a play for him. It was all a bunch of window dressing to have him run a little option route. Brandon Staley bracketed him or doubled him. Had a guy inside outside, so the play was kind of screwed. I mean, again, if we want to show the highlights there one more time of that play and stuff, there's there's nobody open. You know, let it go. You can let it go, especially the end zone copy, Pete or, or Kristen. That You'll see that. I mean, there, there's nothing there. And, yeah, he's thinking, okay, let me get points. Let me get stripped here and fumble the ball. I mean, I've seen a lot of other quarterbacks curl up worse than that in that situation. I'm not sitting here trying to, like, defend Derek Carr and tell you he's Hercules, but it just he's, again, one of those guys that people just they like to jump on when there's a chance. Like, oh, yeah, he curled up. I want to go, well, I, I've seen other legends curl up worse than that, and we don't say one thing about it. But with Derek Carr, we're going to. And uh, that, that that
0: bothers me. That's, that's like, you know, just not fair in my opinion. It's amazing how there's no middle ground with Derek Carr. No. It's either MVP or... Oh, or he's a wimp. We don't negativity. want him. Right. There's no middle ground. Right. It's amazing. Most quarterbacks have that full range that can move around depending upon the outcome of a given game. For Carr, it's either put him on the short list of MVP or get him out of Las Vegas. Yeah. And, Mike, like... To me, it's one of the reasons
2: we might see conservative Derek Carr early on in football games because of, you know, that perception around him, you know, in the pregame, I caught them talking about that, you know, I mean, constantly being tried to replace Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, dabbling in that part of the draft process. There's been some other ones. So
0: I mean, everybody's Don't always. Don't you think Gruden does that though to keep quarterbacks on their toes? But, Haven't we got to the point where we figured out he just does that because he thinks that having that that little ounce of fear you went through that 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 that, that he thinks right or wrong yeah. that that gets more out of a guy. Well, maybe, but I think he's al- always looking
2: to try to replace. He's always putting blame on that position. That, and I think at some point in the last year and a half, he realized wait. If I continue to do this and he's playing pretty solid football, I'm going to really have a bad reputation of just being, you know, a quarterback whore, for lack of a better way to say it. Like always looking for the next hoarder. guy. Hoarder. Right. Hoarder. That's what I meant to
0: say. Sorry, Liverpool. Uh, hoarder. hoarder. Right. And we've so, gone through so many of these things, we're going back around. We're yeah playing my, the album all over again. Yeah,
2: baby. That's right. The, the, the greatest hits. But, I mean, I, how can that not play into his psyche a little bit? With that – and then, you know, yeah, I, I played for John Gruden in the fact, too, where, you know, he, he'll he micromanage you to death and be in your ear. And if you make mistakes, you can feel the panic in his, you know, voice and the way he talks to you. So he's probably coming out a little conservative early on in the football game just to go, like, you know, he's, he's, he he's just getting, like, stable ground underneath him here just in the last year of football to where he feels like, okay, I am the guy. And even within that, they're talking, I mean, you watch Adam Schefter in the pregame, he's talking about, oh, they don't know if they're going to extend him yet. They want to see a little bit more. You know, okay, fine, see a little bit more. I I don't know, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. So uh, that's where I I, I feel for Derek
0: Carr at times. I really do. He's in a no-win situation, like you said, a lot of the time. And and look, at some point they're gonna to have to make a decision. When he signed his contract, he was the highest paid player in NFL history. That was during that window where the next quarterback who was due for a contract won up the last guy by just a little bit and it went, and it went, it went. Now it's a bargain. When the top of the market's forty five million and Derek Carr is at twenty five million, it really is a bargain. And first three weeks of the season, he's making his case to get a significant bump on his next deal with Las Vegas. And yeah, now they're gonna Go back and coach him hard and see how he deals with adversity. You're going to have adversity at some point during a 17-game season. It's almost assured. No one's going wire to wire as this dominant team. Right now, the Bills are the closest thing I think the NFL has to a dominant team, and they lost in week one, and they can step in a pothole at any given time. That's the beauty of it. With that many games, you're going to have bad games. And it's just the addition of that one extra game, I think, that maybe has opened our eyes to the fact that, it is a long season. Yeah. And you are going to have adversity. And what matters is how you deal with it when it arrives. Yeah,
2: that's right. And, you know, he's, you know, so far through the Gruden era has handled adversity pretty well. You know, yeah, they didn't go to the playoffs last year, but it wasn't because of Derek Carr. I mean, he was probably the MVP of the football team. And then, yeah, last night, a little bit of the off night. But damn, you know, the defense couldn't, you know, the defense couldn't make a play, get off the field there for a period of time as well. Um, and they were a banged up football team. They were less than. You know, just not a, they're not at full strength. So uh, I don't think we saw the true picture of them all the way through. And then, of course, they ran into, you know, a team that's playing real good football and is really well coached on both sides of the ball. And then has everything we talk about. When you have that, you go, okay, quarterback, good coaches, both sides of the ball, and then you go, damn, some playmakers on both sides of the ball too, some guys that were, wait, the coaches didn't come through, but it doesn't matter. Joey Bosa's going to beat this double team and get there. Derwin James is going to make a pick. Uh, you know, Keenan Allen or Mike Williams are going to make a freak show type of catch, and and that that is where they're dangerous and uh, – that's where I think to your point, Mike, and why you picked them. They're they're here to stay. I'd be I'd be pretty like shocked if they weren't in the conversation for one of the better teams in the AFC when, once we got to December. After seeing four games so far,
0: we're gonna learn some more about the Chargers over the next two weeks because they have the Browns coming to town this weekend, and then they go to Baltimore. So uh, two. Tests for the Chargers out of their division. They're doing well in their division. Let's see how they do against two of the best teams from the AFC North over the next couple of weeks. After that, things soften a little bit. I hate to say a game against the Patriots counts as a softening schedule, but uh given where the Patriots are right now, it's uh I think a fair assessment of the situation. Officiating was a focal point for some criticism last night here's John Gruden who was not happy after the game about a taunting penalty that was called against tight end Darren Waller who made a catch and and directed something at the Chargers sideline here's Gruden
1: I don't understand the taunting. I understand. I hate taunting. I think it's ridiculous. I think what happens after an interception or a touchdown, we allow these celebrations, I consider that taunting. I, I don't understand what happened over there on the Chargers sideline, but the official made the call. We have to deal with it. We couldn't get any momentum going. That didn't help us.
0: Now, Gruden is one of the few coaches who doesn't understand taunting and doesn't like the taunting rule. Most of the coaches do. There's Darren Waller making the catch, and all he did was slam the ball down. Bad call. I, I don't. Yeah, that, I don't. I I don't. I don't get this one. I understand what they're trying to do, but he, he's just slamming the ball down. Right. That's it. Right. And I don't even know that he's. He's not saying anything. He's not he's doing not, anything. Is he upset that he didn't? You know, get past those guys like that. Looked to me more like he was frustrated with himself for something. Exactly. Not that he was trying to stick it in anyone's face. I agreed, Mike. I think he was just like. He's going
2: like, damn, I finally got the ball. Let's go, right? That was his first touch of the night, if I remember correctly. So, you know, there, there in itself, he's just trying to get energy and go like, here we go. We're, we're, we're going to get going right now. And then buzzkill. Referees were bad all over the NFL this weekend. I know I said that to you what? in text last night. It bothered me, but that bothered me right there. It's a stupid call. And the Raiders were you know, had no momentum, and finally you go, oh, okay, at least they're going to maybe change the field position here a little bit and get things going. And then, oh, yeah, you're back, you know, farther back than you were before the completion.
0: Yeah, it's a stupid call by the ref, stupid. And here's my concern about where things currently are on the taunting rule generally, because I remember after the first two weeks when there were 11 fouls, much was made of the reality that there were only three in week three. But I think what's happening is they're not calling – taunting all the time some called early because right. they're taking the heat hey the the hit on Gronk that broke his ribs yeah the guy that put him on the ground stood over, over
2: him and gave him
0: the yeah that was more that's far more taunting than what Darren Waller did and it wasn't called so I don't know how many were called this weekend it's on my list of things to do if I ever get to it but that one last night I understand what they're trying to prevent last night that call does not fall into that bucket No. 100%. There's not, he's
2: not showing anybody up. He didn't get in anybody's face. Yeah, unfortunately, he was on the Chargers sideline. But it's still, he made no reference to anybody there. I mean, if anybody if he was taunting anybody, it was a ref. I mean, he looks like he's looking right at the ref. I mean, that, that's the only guy. So, uh, yeah, just uh, over-officiating there, for sure. Just, you know, again, it's okay. We, get, we know what the taunting thing is. It's about personally putting another guy down and showing him up. And that's not what was done there. And you can see his mouth in a few of the replays. It's closed. So he didn't say anything that we didn't hear. He's biting down on his big Eric Dickerson mouthpiece he's got there.
0: Um, Yeah, bad call all the way. And thank you for not repeating the colorful phrase that you used a couple of weeks ago to explain the specific type of behavior that you don't want a player to be engaging in. With an opponent. And for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you can go back and, uh, I'll tell you and watch later. the past episodes. Well, yeah, uh, Joey Bosa also found himself in some hot water. They never replayed this. When when there's a penalty like that where a guy gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct late in the play or after the whistle, and they said that there was something directed at the rep, we never got to see it, but we got to hear from Joey Bosa after the game with his thoughts on officiating generally and the foul that was called against him specifically.
3: I'm sorry, but you're blind. Like, open your eyes and do your job. It's so bad. It's unbelievable. I mean, look at the play. Sack, game over, 15 yards. It's a big deal. Um, obviously, that's on me. I should never lose my control like that. But these guys have got to do a better job, because it's been years of terrible, terrible miscalls calls left and right. It's uh, really pathetic, honestly. But. Pathetic on me, too, for, for doing what I did. Call or not, I have to take a step back and just go to the next play. But, man, they just seem to not be even have their eyes open half the time.
0: So he's not disputing the flag that he drew. He's disputing the quality of the officiating yeah. generally. And, you know, when a coach says something like that, he's going to get a letter from the NFL informing him of an involuntary contribution to the charity of the NFL's choice. I don't know where the line is for a player. Usually, and this was a while ago, years ago, the line for a player was, you can criticize the officials, just don't suggest that there are improper motives like they you know, are 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 corrupt, that they're Tim Donahue, that they're on the take, that they're trying to fix the game. If you do that, then you get fined. It'll be curious to see whether or not Joey Bosa... Gets fined for what he said after the game last night because that was that was about as as strong of a statement as you're going to get from a player, short yeah. of saying that they're corrupt. He's just saying they're grossly incompetent. Yeah, I, that's as strong as I've heard a player really go after the refs in a long,
2: long time. And he said it in such a calm manner. And I love how he kind of like self scouted thyself too as he was doing it to go. It was unacceptable by him as well. But I think listen, defensive players have to be at their wits end. They have to. I don't know any other way to say it. You know me, you've been hearing me complain a little bit every week so far. It, it's gotten out of hand. There's too many there's too many. Oh, you hit the quarterback too hard. Uh, we're gonna throw a penalty. You hit him too hard. I don't know. It wasn't nothing legal about it, but you can't do that to the quarterback. It's oh, you know, offense is allowed to push off as much as you want. Doesn't matter. Never offensive pass interference. I mean, it's like one out of a hundred it's called. That's not fair. And I watch, you know, Mike, you know me, I'm Ron Jaworski, I watch the film, I, I, I see a handful of plays every game where quarterbacks get out of the pocket, and defensive ends are now trying to run to go get them, and they get held, and it doesn't get called. And it, that does bother me. I don't care that I'm an ex-quarterback or not. You know, call the game the right way, the defense is already at enough of a disadvantage, and uh, I think that's where they're just, they go crazy right now.
0: I wonder how much of that mindset from the Legion of Boom from eight, nine years ago exists for some teams where basically what the Legion of Boom decided to do was we're going to hold the receivers every play because they're not going to call it every play. They call it one out of 10. Fine. We're just going to do it all the time because they're not going to constantly pull the flag out. And I feel like with some of these holding fouls, I mean, you'll see the replay. You'll see the guys hand holding on to the, the flap of the shoulder pad. It's clearly holding, and the flag doesn't come out. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I mean, if you grab the guy by the – there was a game, – what game was it? It was the Sunday night game, I think, where basically it tried to twist the guy's head off. They called it illegal use of hands, hands of the face. It was illegal use of hands, hands trying to remove the head from the torso.
2: <laughs> Seriously.
0: Yeah. It was the uh, Matt Judon play, I believe, that you're
2: talking yes. about. Yeah. So I I know it's uh, I feel for the defensive side of the ball right now I do the game is so reft one sided and uh, I think that's where they're frustrated. Hey, I'm watching Rams at Cardinals yesterday a few times. Kyler Murray runs out of the pocket. I mean, there's there's holding. He's the guys on the edge are being held. Doesn't matter. Oh, it's cool. Look, it's good for fantasy. It's good for ratings. It's great for offense. I don't know what it is, but there's missed calls. And I I, I thought it was a kind of a theme of the whole weekend. Some really
0: like. Um, inconsistent refereeing throughout the league this this weekend. I remember when Gruden was in the broadcast booth. It seemed like every week he would rant about penalties, too many penalties. Well, Well, tell the players not to commit them then. It's not like they're phantom. It's a question of when they decide to throw the flag because they happen. Guys are taking it up to the limit of the rule and sometimes beyond and daring the officials to stop the game and throw the flag. And if you're not committing the penalties, there won't be any penalties called. I, you know, now, now, yeah, yeah, but rarely I think do you have a flag thrown for something that just like didn't happen except roughing the passer. All of the other fouls rarely is there something where it's like, what the hell was that? But uh, if anything, there are more fouls happening then there are flags being thrown, Chris. Yeah, probably, yes. Uh, yeah,
2: probably. But, you know, that that's – it's like we've talked about. Rubbing is racing, you know, and the, there's going to be fouls on every football play. But there, right now it just, you know, did it really affect the play? You know, is it really holding this day and age in the NFL – Uh, you know, again, I just, I just find it inconsistent. I don't know where, where else to say, I wish I could show video evidence and, and had this stuff prepared and go, Hey, look, here's like 10 plays that drove me crazy last week watching, you know, because there is, there's at least that every week, but, uh, it's tough. I know these referees are in a tough spot. It's a lot of large bodies flying around at a million miles per hour. And, uh, yeah,
0: sometimes I get the sense that they're a little overwhelmed and the games too fast for them to really ref at times. And I think the league benefits tremendously from having so many of its games played at the same time on the same day. It makes it very difficult for those of us who cover the sport to get into every Detail, nook and right. cranny of, well, oh, look at this and look at that. If there was a game every night that we could all focus on, there would be much greater scrutiny. Case in point, point, I'm going to write about this today, um... Adam Thielen was blatantly held in the end zone. The last play of the Vikings Browns game sure. blatantly held. Yeah. And it wasn't even a Hail Mary. It was what? 25, 30 yard it right. was a normal th- it. wasn't the big up for grabs, yeah. 50 yard bomb. I mean, right. It was just a throw to the end zone on the final play of the game. And, and Thielen was being held and it wasn't called D- no different than what we talked about last week with the chargers chiefs. When yeah. the chargers players were, were mugging Ty- uh, Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill. So, uh, and 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 the league's approach. And hey, you know what? Maybe the the best approach is just ignore all of it, because if you acknowledge it, you give life to the controversy and you turn it into a thing. Yeah. If you just say nothing, then. It's it's just a couple of idiots like us shouting into the void. Yeah, agreed. Like
2: like you mean like the Dexter Lawrence not really being off sides for the Giants yes. kick? Like just ignore it and people stop talking about it after a day or two.
0: And there'll be there'll be more games. That's the beauty also of there's only you know you have to Tuesday, Wednesday play again Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday play again Sunday. Life moves on. We move on. We're going to take a break when we return. Will Jimmy Garoppolo will be playing this weekend? There are some different opinions and. Kyle Shanahan probably likes it that way. More PFT Live right after this.
3: Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines
4: treat dad to the good stuff at nordstrom rack and save big father's day is sunday june 16th and nordstrom rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60 percent off shirts activewear watches cologne denim and more find amazing deals on tommy bahama cole han original penguin and vince great brands great prices So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.
1: It uh, happened in the first series. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened. Tweaked the calf. Uh, it hurt initially. I, I thought I'd keep trying keep to go. It just kept getting worse and worse traveling down to the Achilles a little bit, but uh, we'll get more information tomorrow with MRI and everything. Hopefully, you know, hoping for the best right now. Uh, right side. I'm not, it felt like that, yeah. I don't know if that is actually what happened or not, but yeah, just felt something, felt something go in the calf. Uh, and like I said, we'll see more, see more tomorrow. I'll say how hard was it for you to and you can't go Yeah, it, it sucked. I mean, just In between series, I could feel it tightening up and everything. Thought I could gut it out. Uh, I tried to for the first half, but it's just tough, man. I don't know. Been in the situation too many times, and it's getting real old, you know. So it's just one of those things that uh, part of the business, though.
0: Jimmy Garoppolo from Sunday. I, I really do wish these teams would make microphones available to the reporters so we can hear the questions yeah we hear the answers but a lot of times don't know what the hell they're talking about because we didn't hear the question but we do know what jimmy garoppolo is talking about he's talking about his calf injury and one of the things you didn't hear him say in that clip is his estimation that he hopes it's only going to be a week or two that he misses which implies pretty clearly that he didn't expect to play this sunday chris against the arizona cardinals well kyle shanahan (laughs) told reporters yesterday that Jimmy Garoppolo has a chance to play on Sunday against the Cardinals and I don't know if this is just gamesmanship or what take full advantage of the uncertainty that it injects into the Cardinals defensive game planning where they may be facing Jimmy Garoppolo they may be facing Trey Lance but uh, it's never in a team's interest to be open and transparent about A quarterback injury, when there's a chance, you can keep the other team guessing for a while. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I mean, we know Shanahan's definitely into that. I mean, listen, I
2: know he's my friend. I'd like to throw the challenge flag and just go, ah, BS, BS. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. You're just trying to get the Cardinals to prepare for Jimmy Garoppolo's offense, too. I mean, that's the way it looks right now sitting here on Tuesday. I don't know that. Got no inside info. You know, the calf injury, something like that, can also be – Yeah, I, you know, again, I I watched that on tape a little yesterday, I think in the second drive of the game or might've been the, the third drive of the game. He did get sacked and somebody's knee hit him right in the calf muscle. And I did notice him limping right after that. So if it is like a bruise or a contusion rather than like a pulled muscle type of thing, then yeah, you might feel considerably better the next day. But, uh, I, I feel like it's more like, preparation and wishful thinking from Shanahan right now and, and wanting Jimmy Garoppolo to maybe be out there and, and be ready to play because I'm sure he's not sure Trey
0: Lance is ready to play. And, and Kyle's got to wonder about the wisdom of Garoppolo to stand up there and say what he said. He had to be irritated by that. It's like, Jimmy, why are you basically ruling yourself out for this week? Why, why would you do that? you know have you not been paying attention to the way this game works there's an element of uncertainty that we want to embrace it helps us it's going to help us win this week if the Cardinals are diluted in the attention that they can devote to getting ready for you versus getting ready for Trey Lance but I just feel like when we saw the resignation we saw the tell he did the scratch of his face I mean Yeah, the guy gets injured too much. Right. And some of it is a result of his own stupidity, like dropping his shoulder into a defensive back at the sideline and blowing out his ACL. And other things, it just kind of happens in the scrum of bodies. But he's one of the few quarterbacks right now in the NFL that is constantly showing up on the injured list. And that's why they decided to move on from him. Right. And that's why Trey Lance is going to get his opportunity. If Jimmy can't play, Trey's getting his opportunity. To show that he can be the guy, and it could be like Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith in twenty twelve, where in comes the new guy and the old guy never gets back again, or Justin Herbert last year when Tyrod Taylor had his unfortunate encounter with Dr. Needle. Yeah. It it may be that the young guy takes over and that's it.
2: Yeah, no, I mean it it certainly could be that. I mean, if Trey Lance takes advantage of the opportunity, you know, that that's hey, this is one of his positive plays of, of Sunday, certainly the blown coverage there. You know, I think it's cover three. The corner should never be following that that receiver in. Leaves it wide open. Good job by him seeing it and just getting the completion there. But, I, you know, I don't know. You know, again, I think uh, I'm sure Shanahan's got a little bit of fear of Trey Lance being out there. I mean, hey, anybody that watched that game the other day, it's raw as hell. It's raw as hell. It's the rawest of the quarterbacks. It's not even close. It's the least – impressive throwing of all the quarterbacks he needs a ton of space he still it's one wobbler after another accuracy is below average for NFL standards yeah he's got power in his arm and he can like unleash like, the howitzer every now and then but at times you don't know if that howitzer is going to hit the broad side of the barn and that's where I'm sure there's a little concern there as of right now, and the offense is not exactly steamrolling people running the football right now either. So there's all of that, and uh, I'm going to be interested to see because, of course, this Cardinals defense can fly around, and they're made to stop these type of running quarterbacks with the athletes they got. So that's where it's a tough matchup for the 49ers and Trey Lance too.
0: And and they don't flinch at the idea of dealing with Trey Lance. They have to chase Kyler exactly. Murray around in practice. Exactly. So, right. Um this is a huge one though, for the 49ers. This is kind of like what happened last night on a greater scale. You got a four and0 team and a two and two team. You're going to be five and0 and two and three or four and one and three and two. And if, if the Big 49ers difference. lose this game, yeah. that is a hell of a hole for them to have to dig out of. It is, it would is. be disappointing,
2: you know, because I, I don't look at them as a two and two football team. Mike, I've never seen a team whoop the crap out of a team the way the 49ers whoop the Seahawks and be down 21 to 7. I mean it was unreal. The 49ers absolutely whooped the crap out of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean I think at one point in the game it was like 170 yards total offense to minus 3 and we were in like the second quarter of the football game. And they could do nothing. But it was the you know the uh, the you know Robbie Gold missed they missed field goals, you know there's a lot of empty yards where yeah they get yards but they end up the drive stalls out, nothing happens there. The defense can't create any Turnovers or create magic. Like, it's an awesome defense, but in 2019, they created turnovers and havoc and set up the offense. We're not seeing that much right now either. Uh, so I go, Shanahan and company got to be disappointed. They're two and two at this point.
0: Well, you mentioned Robbie Gold. He was unable to kick because of a pregame injury. So Mitch Wisnowski was the kicker and he's kicking like a 42 yard field goal. Like, why? Like, yeah, Maybe he can make them in practice when they're screwing around, right, it's but it's a far one. different situation when you have a, a new holder, because the punter is usually the holder, Kyle Juszczyk's the holder, and you're out there doing it live in a game when you had no idea you were going to have to do it. That, that's, a, that's a lot to ask it is a of, lot. Uh, of these guys who are out of their normal positions. The normal position in Chicago continues to be Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback when he's healthy. Here is Matt Nagy, coach of the team from Monday, explaining what will come next for the Bears after they got to two and two with a win over the Lions. When we work through this whole process, um, we got to see where Andy's at health wise these next two days. That's important because, like we said this whole time, you know, um, when Andy's healthy, right? When he's healthy, he's our starter. He's the one. Justin's the two. Nick's the three. So what's been great about this. You know, the last couple of weeks is Justin's had the opportunity to, to play and get significant snaps, and he's grown from it. So now we just got to see like where where is Andy's health at. Um, honestly, the, the next two days will will be revealing to us. And then once once that happens and we get a feel for where he is, then we as coaches decide, okay, hey, where are we at right now? How do we feel he is percentage wise, Andy, to be able to to uh, to go into that game as the starter. And, and look, it gets back to the whole uncertainty we were talking about with the 49ers. You want the next opponent to be concerned about Justin Fields or Andy Dalton. But Matt Nagy has not wavered not at all. in his position that right. Dalton will start when he's healthy. The question is, who decides when he's healthy and when is he really healthy? Or is it healthy? Is it the old 100% rule where he's 100% when the coach decides he's 100%, Chris?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, it does seem like there's a little bit of that. You know, David Montgomery got hurt. You know that does hurt the prospects of like the Justin Fields offense. Uh, I mean, again, Mike, you know my stance on this. You do, yeah. I know Justin Fields is not perfect. Yeah, he's not that great on third down yet, and, and and some of some of those little nuances there certainly. But I like the way the offense looked. At least they gave him a chance the other day. There was more underneath the center. Let's run the ball. Let's boot leg. Let's play action. Let's move him a little bit more you know we'll play that type of offense and you know when an opportunity presents itself we'll let him unleash a deep one like he did to Mooney for the like the long post which was a great throw by Justin Fields and then you play through their defense i mean that's that's how they got to the playoffs the last two out of the last three years, it's that style. It's not Andy Dalton shotgun throw it. It was Mitch Trubisky underneath center, bootleg, run the ball, scramble and make a play every now and then. Okay, and you know have a, have a few splash throws within the football game. Uh, and that's where I would just err on going Justin Fields, but that does not sound like it's the case there in Chicago. And um, yeah, they're they're holding strong to
0: to being Dalton to being the starter. Yeah, and look, Fields looked better. Yeah. But it was the Lions. It was the Lions. Sure. And uh, you don't even have to say which year of Lions in contrast because it's not like there's any Lions defense in the past 25 years or 30 years that you, you would think, well, well, hey, the Lions. Oh, well, 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 it's the 95 Lions. No, no. Uh, it's the Lions. And the Lions are the Lions. And the Bears need to, to get it done offensively against a better defense than that. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we return, the, the social media uproar from the weekend – involving urban meyer is something we deliberately avoided here and at pft until urban meyer said something about it now that he has said something about it what he said what it means and how it could affect the football team becomes highly relevant and we're going to discuss it when pft live continues right after this okay some photos emerged on social media over the weekend of urban meyer with multiple females who are not Mrs. Urban Meyer. And the internet went crazy. Social media imploded or exploded or both. He was trending on Sunday morning, a Sunday that the Jaguars weren't actually playing football. And I didn't know what to do with it. I told the writers at PFT, we're just going to stay away from this until the Jaguars say something about it or Urban Meyer says something about it. And on Monday morning, Urban Meyer, Chris, had his... Press conference, usual two three times a week. Urban Meyer was asked about it right out of the gates, and here's what he had to say:
5: I just apologized to the team and staff and uh, for being a distraction, just stupid. Uh, and so I explained everything that happened and owned it, and you know, just stupid. Uh, should not have myself in that kind of position. There's a big group next to our restaurant, and they wanted me to come over and take pictures, and I did. And, and they were trying to pull me out on a dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left.
1: How did the team react? I mean, they're pretty, probably pretty account- uh, reactionary, or, you know, how did they take it? Your apology? Well, I've right? always
5: been so defensive of them. You know, I remember when Trevor told me he was going to go to Vegas for his bachelor party, I mean, I was just my like, gosh, man, be careful and surround yourself, and, because I've seen this happen, and, uh, and I just, so the team, the team, uh, I spoke to a bunch of leaders one-on-one, spoke to all the players. Uh, They're good. They were focused on Tennessee, and I apologized again for being a distraction.
0: Yeah, the key is they were focused on Tennessee. They were until they had to deal with this, until they had to take time out of their Monday to have to hear from the coach and process what this all means and ask themselves, man, what would happen to us if we created this kind of a distraction for the organization. The coaches are not the ones, Chris, who are supposed to be creating the distractions. And Trevor Lawrence has to be wondering how did I get pulled into this? What, what, wait, I wasn't even on the team when I had my bachelor party in Las Vegas. And I get used as the example uh, of, of the advice Urban Meyer gave. And it just shows how stupid the whole thing is. Urban Meyer didn't take his own advice. The, the lack of self awareness is what's stunning to me. And anytime I see that kind of poor judgment, you wonder how else that defect manifests itself in everything else the person does. If you allow yourself as a man in his late 50s who understands how these things work, understands what's going to happen, he's posing for the photos. You understand. This wasn't anything that was done surreptitiously. He was smiling for the camera. If he's not able at that age... To make the connection from point A to point B to point you're sleeping out in the street for a month, if not longer, and you're creating a mess for your team, and this is not going to go away quietly, and it's going to be a big deal. If you can't figure that out, what other stuff is going wrong with your team that isn't obvious? How else is that flaw affecting your ability to turn the Jaguars into the best team they can be. And I think that's a relevant thought because there's something that ain't right there for him to have not realized where this was going to go, to not envision how A leads to B leads to C leads to D leads to what we saw yesterday.
2: Yeah, well, you, you, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. It's almost like, you know, are you that, you know, unaware or, like, not aware of, like, the figure that you are? I guess that's what's a little concerning. You know, self-aware it's, come up a few times already in his short career with Jacksonville Jaguars and some of the things that have done there, whether it's back to the strength coach or whatever, to where you just go, like, what the hell? It's 2021. I could have told you that was going to happen. Like, and listen, I did plenty of dumb things back in the day, certainly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, here I am at 41, and I feel like, what? I, w- I would never put myself in that situation at this point, and I'm not Urban Meyer. You know, that's where I'm just, like, shocked by it. Like, Really? You thought that you were going to go to the bar or the club and have a girl grinding up on you on a video to a degree and that nobody is just like a bunch of Ohio people We're just going to let it go and go, let's let him have his privacy. Yeah, that goes on this day and age. That's what's crazy. And then here's the other thing that I think just – this is the first thing that jumped out to me was I went, wait, what day was this? Saturday? What? They're 0-4. We're, we're taking the weekend off as the head coach? Oh and 4 we're just taking it off. I don't know. I mean, to me, again, I, I understand that coaches needed some time off and, and everything like that, but damn, I think if you looked at a lot of the top coaches in football, they're not just like, hey, we played on Thursday night, going to take a vacation this weekend and hang behind and go to some
0: bars and hang out. That, to me, was weird in itself. Yeah, even though the players get a little bit of a break, the mini-bye after a Thursday night game, that doesn't apply To the coaches. The coaches get right back to work, especially after a loss like that. Remember how heartbroken he was, the post-game press conference? Now, I think if I understand the timeline correctly, because it was so late on Thursday night. I think this happened Friday night. But he said, we went to the restaurant. We stayed behind in Ohio to see the grandkids. Well, if you would have focused on the grandkids, that would have kept this from happening as well. I didn't see any grandkids In those photos. So uh, there's a lot of challenge flags. You talk about throwing the challenge flag. it's all Run out of laundry. There's a lot of red on this one. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and you know what bothered people in the NFL more than anything else? Now, of course, they understand it was stupid, it was lack of self awareness. Why the hell is he wearing an Ohio State? logo on his he's Jacksonville Jaguars head coach now not that he needs to wear Jaguars colors everywhere but there are people in the league who looked at the Ohio State thing and thought that is just really odd it is the guy who left Ohio State multiple years ago and hey my approach to what I choose to wear is whatever's the cleanest and the closest but when you're the coach of an NFL team and you no longer have an association with Ohio State. It is kind of weird to see the guy walking around in Ohio State. But hey, he's in Ohio. I'm the king of. I'm still the king of Ohio, even though I'm the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here I am. I'm the king of Ohio, and I shouldn't even have to have to ask you to put your phones away when I walk in the room. Right. Maybe that's what he thinks. I maybe
2: maybe listen. I mean. You know, you know, Pete, Pete just got in my ear and he goes, have you ever had a coach not fly back with you for a game, you know, after a game? And, you know, I'm, I'm, I thought about this already, but I, I don't think so, at no point. You probably at times you wish that he didn't. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Can we leave Gruden behind? We don't need him, do we? I don't want to have to deal with him tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't play good. He's going to kill me in the meeting tomorrow. Oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it's just rare. And, again, I, I understand that these, all these guys need free time. It's a grueling job. But, like, to what you said, like, you know, hey, usually when coaches have a weekend like that, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe you do take Friday off, all right, but usually you're back in there grinding Saturday, Sunday, or you're there Friday, and it's just like smaller hours. Okay, we didn't get here at 6 a.m., and we didn't stay till 11 o'clock at night. We got here at 9, we left at 4.30, we got some work in, we, need, we got some things accomplished as a staff and a team, and you move forward. I think that, to me, was what I, I think jumped out to me more
0: than anything about the weekend events. Apart from the stunning lack of self-awareness and inability to imagine how these dominoes will fall, apart from that, I almost feel like Urban Meyer is determined to not be so wrapped up in coaching, to not hold on to everything so tightly like a Bill Belichick does, that that, that Meyer... Decided if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna try it this way. Right. I'm not gonna be completely and totally obsessed with it because that didn't do me any you know good service in Florida or at Ohio State. I'm not gonna get wrapped up in it. I'm too old for this stuff. I think I can be successful without being fully and totally obsessed with well, it. You're gonna find out that doesn't work. A, there's a reason why Bill Belichick. Grinds and grinds and grinds all the time and is working and is working and is planning and is scheming. I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but he's always trying to come up with an edge because it's all so close at the NFL level. You need that stuff to force it your way in a key moment. And I I just, you know, I thought the talk after week two about USC and Urban Meyer won't last. I, it's, This is way too premature. But after what's gone on so far this season and after what happened this weekend, i I I will be stunned if he's still there next year. Wow. Whether he gets wow. fired or whether he quits, I, I I don't think he's going to be there next year. Barring a dramatic change in events, I don't think he's going to be there. Wow, I I, I hear you. I, I don't I don't know.
2: I, I didn't you know I haven't thought about it in those terms. But certainly some shaky things have happened this year. There's no doubt. I, I I still have faith in Urban Meyer in a lot of ways. I do. You know we've seen little snippets in every game where you go, damn. The team's got it going. The game plan's right. You know, they are young, and there's, you know, mistakes to be made. We saw a little bit of how good they can be a little bit on Thursday night, even though it kind of fell apart there in the second half. But, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see where it goes, Mike. Certainly, I, I understand your your reasoning or thought there behind that.
0: The, the, this is all still fresh and new, and it's hard to have full perspective on it as the events are still at this stage. But well, I, I look at it this way. And, and, and I, I never want to delve into someone's personal life. It's personal for a reason. But, Chris, you and I, I think, can bring to the table a very important perspective. When you have a spouse, a life partner, somebody who has to deal with all the crap that we throw at them because of how hard we work. Well, right. how hard I work. Right. You're different. You only work <laughs> three days a week. But I'm kidding. But, you know, it's demanding. <laughs> right. And it's stressful. And we're in the public eye. Yeah. And there's constantly that 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 low level of, oh God, what's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? They carry that around, and they have to be ready to defend us, and they have to be ready to deal with the dumb stuff that we do and the criticism that we get, the ninety-eight percent of the time that we don't even deserve it. There's just a, there's a background noise that you have to tolerate. Yeah. So then you throw on top of it. Right something as stupid as what he did and as you know directly to the heart of that relationship that he's had with his wife I'm telling you the statement's going to go along the lines of it's more important for me now at this time to work on my family and he'll be right when he says it yeah uh, well uh, it's not worth it if your wife's not all in with that kind of a job because what we do is demanding here what a head coach in the NFL does is demanding here if your wife's not all in with it it's falling apart. It's imploding. It's over. It's done. That's why I say it's going to be a stunner if he's there next year. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I get your
2: point 100% there. Hopefully he can rectify the situation. Uh, I'm not rooting against him in any way, but you're right. It's hard enough to be the spouse of a NFL head coach, let alone when you got public stuff like this that now you have to deal with. And that's 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 tough on his whole family, and I'm sure – you know, they're they're having a lot of talks with dad right now.
0: And, and let me tell you, here's the other side of it, too. And this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. This is part of the reality because I'm trying to see it from the perspective of the person who has the most direct and constant influence on Urban Meyer every day, every day, every day. We can't understate how important that is. There's a fundamental difference between, the, between being the wife of Ohio State coach, Urban Meyer, and the wife of Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, Urban Meyer. Because at least at the college level, and this is what I think Nick and Terry say, and they like you know King and Queen of yeah. Tuscaloosa, right. it's just the King of Jacksonville. There is no there is no co partner type of a thing. It's no. different at the NFL. No, you're not than recruiting players, town. right? Exactly. Right. You don't have, to the, have relationships a with much, moms. Much more central role. Yes. At the college town and at the NFL town. And that's going to be part of this too, yeah. I think.
2: Agreed, Mike. Agreed. I mean, listen, I could speak to Mac Brown. His his wife is great. Sally Brown, I mean, she was the best. Part of the reason a lot of kids went there. It made me feel comfortable going there. Just knowing, hey, there's a normal person I could talk to. And if I don't want to talk ball with Mac, I could talk to her. And she actually seems like she cares about me. Uh, there, there is. It's a totally different lifestyle. College and the NFL, not, not even comparable for, for
0: players or, or coaches now that's your perspective on the relationship with sally brown i'm sure she would like roll her out and say oh here comes that pothead again <laughs> i was just dabbling that i was only dabbling i wasn't a full-fledged right. pothead <laughs> let's take a break uh, when we return chris watched the film on the last unbeaten team in the nfl we'll discuss that next here on pft live